I've long wondered about the posture of the prophets or the posture of the patriarchs or that of the psalmists. Those biblical writers, those men of old who sometimes said things that were difficult and what they looked like, what their body language was like. And one of those occasions is in Psalm 51, a psalm that is likely familiar to you where at the conclusion of that prayer of repentance or that psalm of a penitent heart, David says, O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth shall show forth your praise. And then he famously says in verse 16, beginning of Psalm 51, For you do not desire sacrifice, or else I would give it. You do not delight in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. These, O God, you will not despise. And so a person could read those passages and only take out certain words or phrases and come away with the wrong conclusion and think that God does not indeed want sacrifices. We know that that's not the case at all. In fact, the very place you are tonight, though this building is not sacred, it is a place that is designed for worship and a living sacrifice as outlined in Romans chapter 12. And we understand that the sacrifices of God are hearts that are broken and contrite and that are willing to serve him And we want to make sure that when we sacrifice to our God, that we do so in a satisfactory manner. And I love the text that our brother read from in John chapter 12 or Matthew 26 or Mark chapter 14 as you see the story of the anointing at Bethany repeated on a couple of different occasions in the gospel writers. I want to look at that text tonight by looking at reflections on what makes for sacrifices that make God happy. And we sometimes get caught up in thinking about, well, the sacrifices that we give are not like those of the olden days. And that is true, but it doesn't mean that we don't have something to give, whether it be as we pray tonight. It could be our time. It could be one's abilities. It could be our treasures. It could be all kinds of different things that we have to give up in order to serve our God and to serve others more favorably. I want to go back and reread where we read a moment ago, but I want to read this time from Mark's account for a couple of reasons that I'll stress later in our study tonight. In Mark chapter 14, verse 1, says that after two days it was the Passover and the feast of the unleavened bread. And the chief priests and the scribes sought how they might take him by trickery and put him to death. But they said not during the feast, lest there be an uproar among the people. And being in Bethany at the house of Simon the leper, as he sat at the table, a woman came having an alabaster flask of very costly oil of spikenard. She broke the flask and poured it on his head. But there were some who were indignant, remember that word, we'll come back to that, among themselves and said, why was this fragrant oil wasted? Remember that word, because we're going to come back to that. 
for it might have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor, and they criticized her sharply. Jesus said, let her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a good work for me. For you have the poor with you always, and whenever you wish, you may do them good. But me, you do not have always. She has done what she could. She has come beforehand to anoint my body for burial. Assuredly, I say to you, wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be told as a memorial to her. To kind of give away where the story ends before we even begin, that has come to fruition, has it not? This memorial to this woman is so famous, so important, that 2,000 years after the fact, we're still reading it. We're still talking about it. Little did she know on the occasion where she broke open that flask and anointed Jesus and treated him with the respect that he so richly deserved, did she understand or probably comprehend the difference that she was making not only in the life of Jesus in the closing hours of his life on earth, but also for each of us. I want to look and have five observations from this text, whether it be from Matthew 26, Mark 14, or John chapter 12. And we'll look at those passages maybe a time or two. But I want to stress number one, that in order for a sacrifice to be satisfactory, it has to have something of value. I'm reminded of a conversation that I was having with one of our brothers who was trying to teach his young son just a few weeks ago about the importance of sacrifice. And the young son has lots of money, at least for a young person. And it came time to select what was necessary to give on the Lord's Day, and he went and got a small coin, and his dad's response was, now come on, you could probably do a little better than that. And that's true for all of us if we're stingy or if we are selfish because a sacrifice has to have something of value. Giving up something of little value isn't sacrificial. And we can use all kinds of examples. If you've got all kinds of free time and you've got all kinds of time that you are not occupied with other things and you write one note of encouragement every six months, that is not a sacrifice of your time. If you are making a million dollars a year and you give a dollar to the Lord's church, that's probably not a sacrifice. You get my point. I'm trying to use these very broad figures so that I don't insult anybody or make you wonder that I'm trying to get more from you. But the fact of the matter is, is these are not sacrifices when they do not cost you something. The flask that we are told here was worth about 300 denarii. There's different ways in which you calculate the wages. Uh, some have said it's as much as a year's wages. Some have said that it's somewhere around 10 months wages, almost a year. Some have suggested that it's somewhere between fifty dollars and $100,000. This was a lot that this woman was giving up. We don't know if she was wealthy. We don't know if this was something that was handed down to her from someone else. But when we give, we need to be careful to not just give, but to actually sacrifice. For something to be a satisfactory sacrifice to our Lord, it has to be something of value. And it doesn't just have to be from your pocketbook or from your wallet. 
It can be your time. It can be your talent. There are people who are here that can work with their hands in ways that are far beyond what I'm able to do. Someone was asking me, or someone uh, last week, the week before, assumed that I was good with my hands in terms of repairing things around the house. And I thought, have you been to my house? Have you seen <laughs> the fact that, that Wendy's the one who does most of the work? And then we call Shane and say, Shane, come fix this for us. And he comes over. By the way, the first person when I moved here, the very first person who showed up at my house hadn't even unpacked, hadn't even moving trucks there, and Shane's there. I thought, oh, this is not a good sign. <laughs> no, I thought that's a very good sign because he was there to do some work. And I said, get to work, Shane, and he did. <laughs> but he was willing to sacrifice his time and his talent and even his treasure in helping us out. Number two, many people are not going to understand our sacrifices. People think that we are silly in the way that we spend our money in giving it to the church. People think that we're silly in that we sacrifice three or four hours of our time on Sunday and an hour and a half on Wednesday night, and that we spend time as we prayed studying on a daily basis and praying on a daily basis and exhorting one another, building up one another. They say, there are so many other things that you can do with your time or with your talent or with your treasure. Notice, if you would, the reaction to Mary's major sacrifice was one of indignation. We said we'd come back to that word. But that word indignation is a strong word. In Matthew chapter 26 and verse 8, when the disciples saw they were indignant, verse 8 of Matthew 26, saying, why this waste? And in fact, Mark chapter 14 phrases it differently by saying that this was a waste. Now just think about that for a moment. Someone doing something for the Lord and someone else comes and says, that's a waste. There are people who think that what you and I are doing on the Lord's day is a waste of time. Now that really bothers us because we know it's not. And it gets at us because we know this is the most important thing that we are going to do all week is to come and surround the table and study our Bibles and exhort one another and to provoke one another to love and good works as outlined in Hebrews 10, 24, and 25. But there are people who think that when we sacrifice, that when we give up our time, our talent, and our treasure, that we are wasting those things. It's possible that our actions will subject us to sharp criticism today. And I am confident that there are those who are present here tonight who indeed have been criticized because of your choice to do something that the Lord wanted and not because of what you and not what you wanted. You chose to put God first, his kingdom first, and as a result someone either made fun of you, they talked behind your back and you found out about it after the fact. Those are things that hurt us. Literally in verse 5, it might have been sold for more than 300 denarii. It says that they criticized her sharply. Some versions use the word scold. And some versions use the word censured her. Those are strong words. That's the reaction that we get from the world because of our service and sacrifice to God. In many ways... This is going to be expected from our worldly friends, where many people will not understand our sacrifices. For example, 
This is a church that is filled with a lot of busy people, a lot of busy dads, and a lot of busier sometimes moms. And you are investing so much of your time in your children, in their education. You're doing, getting them to various practices and events and rehearsals. But yet you put the church first. And you say, you know what? The Lord's day is the Lord's day. And I'm going to make sure that that's the priority. I'm going to make sure that Wednesday nights are my priority as well. You're busy. But you put the church first and sacrifice your time. Some would say... That's a waste of your time because they do not understand our sacrifices. Or you may be financially strapped. It may be difficult for you at this time of year or this time of life. Yet you continue to, quote, waste your money by giving it to the church. Why not use it for yourself? Now, there's certainly biblical principle for when you have less, you give less. I think we all understand that. But the point that I'm making is that people in the world do not see the wisdom and giving of our time, our treasure, and our talent for the cause of Jesus Christ. And we see here that the disciples of Jesus were the very ones who criticized. It's interesting that in John's account, only Judas gets the brunt of the, uh, of the focus of the complaining. But here in Mark's account, we as disciples in general are included because we can be guilty of that as well. Let it never be said of us that we criticize one another for the sacrifices that are being made. Rather, let us build up one another and saying those sacrifices are not a waste, but indeed are so very valuable. So a sacrifice requires something of value. Sacrifices are the kinds of things that people will not understand. Let me suggest thirdly that sacrificing ensures a legacy, reassures a legacy. Jesus predicted, as we talked about at the introduction to our study, that Mary's actions would be remembered and they would be considered a memorial or a legacy for her. And Wednesday evening, David talked about memorials in the book of Exodus and the fact that the memorials serve a purpose. And here in verse 9, he says, it will be told as a memorial to her. One day, maybe when we meet her, we can say, I remember studying about you one night. We can say, I remember learning about you and about the memorial that you set up. The fact is, is our works follow us. The works that you do follow you and the works that I do follow me. Revelation chapter 14 and verse 13, he says, I heard a voice from heaven saying to me, write, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the spirit that they may rest from their labors and their works follow them. The fact is, is this happens after we rest from our labors. We may not know the full account or the full consideration of the good that we have done. I'm a strong proponent of saying to people that you are an encouragement to me or that you have helped me or that I think you did a good job and doing it while the person is alive. 
Because sometimes what we do is we get in this awful habit of only saying nice things about someone once they're dead. Someone once said in relationship to David's comment this morning about politicians that uh, we call someone a politician when they're alive and when they're dead we call them statesmen. Now someone once also said we need more statesmen than we do, than we do need politicians. But that's another concept all in and of itself. But the fact is, is when we are dead, we say a lot of nice things about one another, don't we? I've never been, I've never been to a funeral where someone stands up and says, let me tell you all the horrible aspects of this person. But instead, we stress all the good things about that person and about the qualities that he or she represented. But share those things while the person is alive, even though we know that the fullness of those things won't be realized and seen until the person absents this life. Number four, Jesus Christ wants you to do what you can. He is not concerned with the things that you cannot do. You and I can make a long list of things we can't do. And I've known of Christians who, when it comes to what their talents are, what their abilities are, what they're willing to bring to the table... They have a long list of the things they can't do. We can all write that list. For example, I don't know of any of us that could give a half a million dollars to the church and donate it. We can't do that. Some would say, I, 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 I don't have the ability financially. I don't have the ability with my health to travel to Asia, to far reaches of the world, and to teach the gospel to them. I can't, I can't do that bringing it down to maybe a level that we are more familiar with, it may be true that someone say, I, I can't physically get up. If I physically got up, I would physically fall down and stand up in front of a group and, and teach for half an hour or preach a sermon for half an hour or whatever the case may be. I can't preach or teach in front of large groups. We should not spend our time thinking that way because that's not what God wants us to think about. How do I know that? Because of what Mark, and only Mark, records in this statement. Go back to Mark here, and I want us to go to chapter 14. And I want us to pick a word there that I think is very important for us to appreciate. Where in verse 6, let her alone, why do you trouble her? She has done a good work for me. Then drop down to verse 8. If you like underlining things in your Bible... She has done what she could, right? She did what she could. Whether it was worth 10 months' wages, a year's wages, whether it was 50000 or 100000 is indifferent to the point that we're trying to make right here. And that is she did what she could. Jesus is asking you and Jesus is asking me to do what we can. There were lots of things that Mary couldn't do, that this woman couldn't do, but when there is something that we can do, we must do it. And that is true with every talent, with every penny that we've got, with every minute of time that we are provided. Let me suggest fifthly and finally that the reason that this all matters so much is because it tells me that Jesus Christ personalizes our sacrifices. He looks at them personally. Jesus said in Mark 14, verse 6, 
She has done a good work for me. She didn't do good work for someone else. She did it for me. The Son of God, on this occasion, recognized that a person was giving up something of value so that he would be prized and honored. And the fact is, is we should take great encouragement that the sacrifices that we make with whatever it be are known by Christ and personalized by him. For every kind note or text or call you make, Jesus says, that was done for me. For every opportunity that you take to use your talent to cook, to drive someone, to build something for someone, to repair something in their house so that they can have a better life, to do that for a Christian, Jesus says, they've done it for me. Every time you write a check, every time you give on the Lord's Day, every time that you give to a member who's, who's struggling financially, Jesus says, you've done it for me. And that's powerful to think about that we have the capacity to give to Jesus by giving to one another. We can be confident in satisfactory sacrifices that with the right attitudes, Jesus Christ is satisfied with what we give. And let me suggest, secondly, that we can be satisfied as well knowing that we've pleased him and that he sees us as his servants. And we need to be making a memorial for ourselves as well. And make the memorial such that others, not to prize us and remember us, but that they glorify the one in heaven. In fact, it reminds me as I close with the words in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 16, where Jesus says, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. We want our sacrifices to be such that God is glorified. Yes, others are going to benefit from it. Our brethren are going to benefit with time and talent and treasure that you give up for them. But think about that when this woman did this 2,000 years ago, little did she know that 2,000 years later that countless Christians would be talking about her. Who's to know? Maybe not 2,000 years from now if the world still stands, but maybe 20 years from now, someone could be talking about the good that you have done and the sacrifices you have made and the kindness that you have shown. And that is all in our capacity to do. The greatest sacrifice of all was that of Jesus the Christ when he chose to give up his life. You see, Jesus laid down his life for us. And we rightly point out that it wasn't taken from him. It wasn't a situation where he went fighting and, and, and punching and flailing away. No, he just laid down his life and said, here I am. And in the words of the great Old Testament character, Lord, send me. And as a result, we can be saved. And as David pointed out this morning in his sermon near the end, 
that repentance and baptism are necessary for salvation. It is as true then as it is today as it will be tomorrow. And so if we can help you to be a Christian, we hope that you'll make the decision to become one. Maybe as a child of God, your sacrifices are not satisfactory. And that's not because of my judgment. That's because of your own personal judgment. You get to determine only with God and your conscience whether or not your sacrifices are satisfactory to the Lord. And maybe you need the help of brethren to figure out how can I better use my time and my talent and my treasure. We are filled and this church is richly blessed. And please understand that I'm not just saying this, but I truly believe it. That this is a church that is richly blessed with individuals who are sacrificial because I've seen it firsthand and I've seen it and witnessing it in the lives of others. And we are blessed richly. But let us never lull ourselves into a sense of, well, we're doing a great job. The preacher says we're doing a good job, so now I can take it easy. But rather let us work hard to continue that. And if we can help you in that, we'd love the opportunity. If we can help you some other way, spiritually let us know while together we stand while we sing.